Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading is by Gordon McKenzie. Scaramouche. A Romance of the French Revolution by Raphael Sabatini Book 3, Chapter 12 The Overwhelming Reason Monsieur de la Tour d'Azir was seen no more in the Manege, or indeed in Paris at all, throughout all the months that the National Assembly remained in session to complete its work of providing France with a constitution. After all, though the wound to his body had been comparatively slight. The wound to such a pride as his had been all but mortal. The rumor ran that he had emigrated, but that was only half the truth. The whole of it was that he had joined that group of noble travelers who came and went between the Tuileries and the headquarters of the emigres at Coblenz. He became, in short, a member of the Royalist Secret Service that in the end was to bring down the monarchy in ruins. As for André Louis, his godfather's house saw him no more. As a result of his conviction that Monsieur de Kercadieu would not relent from his written resolve never to receive him again, if the duel were fought. He threw himself into his duties at the assembly with such zeal and effect that when, its purpose accomplished, the constituent was dissolved in September of the following year, membership of the legislative, whose election followed immediately, was thrust upon him. He considered then, like many others, that the revolution was a thing accomplished, that France had only to govern herself by the constitution which had been given her, and that all would now be well. And so it might have been, but that the court could not bring itself to accept the altered state of things. As a result of its intrigues, half Europe was arming to hurl herself upon France, and her quarrel was the quarrel of the French king with his people. That was the horror at the root of all the horrors that were to come. Of the counter-revolutionary troubles that were everywhere being stirred up by the clergy, 
none were more acute than those of Brittany, and, in view of the influence it was hoped he would wield in his native province, it was proposed to André-Louis by the Commission of Twelve, in the early days of the Girondin ministry, that he should go thither to combat the unrest. He was desired to proceed peacefully, but his powers were almost absolute, as is shown by the orders he carried, orders enjoining all to render him assistance and warning those who might hinder him that they would do so at their peril. He accepted the task, and he was one of the five plenipotentiaries dispatched on the same errand in that spring of 1792. It kept him absent from Paris for four months, and might have kept him longer, but that at the beginning of August he was recalled. More imminent than any trouble in Brittany was the trouble brewing in Paris itself. When the political sky was blacker than it had been since eighty-nine, Paris realized that the hour was rapidly approaching, which would see the climax of the long struggle between equality and privilege, and it was towards a city so disposed that André-Louis came speeding from the west, to find there also the climax of his own disturbed career. Mademoiselle de Kercadio, too, was in Paris in those days of early August, on a visit to her uncle's cousin and dearest friend, Madame de Plogestel and although nothing could now be plainer than the seething unrest that heralded the explosion to come, yet the air of gaiety, indeed of jocularity prevailing at court, whither Madame and Mademoiselle went almost daily, reassured them. Monsieur de Plagestel had come and gone again, back to Coblenz, on that secret business that kept him now almost constantly absent from his wife, but whilst with her he had positively assured her that all measures were taken, and that an insurrection was a thing to be welcomed, because it could have only one conclusion, the final crushing of the revolution in the courtyard of the Tuileries. That, he added, was why the king remained in Paris. But for his confidence in that, he would put himself in the centre of his Swiss and his knights of the dagger and quit the capital. They would hack a way out for him easily if his departure were opposed. But not even that would be necessary. Yet in those early days of August, after her husband's departure, the effect of his inspiring words was gradually dissipated by the march of events under Madame's own eyes. And finally, on the afternoon of the ninth, there arrived at the Hôtel Plagestel a messenger from Meudon, bearing a note from Monsieur de Kercadio, in which he urgently bade Mademoiselle join him there at once, and advised her hostess to accompany her. You may have realized that Monsieur de Kercadio was of those who make friends with men of all classes. His ancient lineage placed him on terms of equality with members of the noblesse. His simple manners, something between the rustic and the bourgeois, and his natural affability, placed him on equally good terms with those who by birth were his inferiors. 
In Meudon he was known and esteemed of all the simple folk, and it was Rougain, the friendly mayor, who, informed on the ninth of August of the storm that was brewing for the morrow, and knowing of Mademoiselle's absence in Paris, had warningly advised him to withdraw her from what in the next four and twenty hours might be a zone of danger for all persons of quality, particularly those suspected of connections with the court party. Now there was no doubt whatever of Madame de Plogestel's connection with the court. It was not even to be doubted. Indeed, measure of proof of it was to be forthcoming that those vigilant and ubiquitous secret societies that watched over the cradle of the young revolution were fully informed of the frequent journeyings of Monsieur de Plagestel to Coblenz, and entertained no illusions on the score of the reason for them. Given then a defeat of the court party in the struggle that was preparing, the position in Paris of Madame de Plagestel could not be other than fraught with danger, and that danger would be shared by any guest of birth at her hotel. Monsieur de Kercadiot's affection for both those women quickened the fears aroused in him by Rougain's warning. Hence that hastily dispatched note, desiring his niece and imploring his friend to come at once to Meudon. The friendly mayor carried his complacence a step farther, and dispatched the letter to Paris by the hands of his own son, an intelligent lad of nineteen. It was late in the afternoon of that perfect August day when young Rougain presented himself at the Hôtel Plogestel. He was graciously received by Madame de Plogestel in the salon, whose splendors, when combined with the great air of the lady herself, overwhelmed the lad's simple, unsophisticated soul. Madame made up her mind at once. Monsieur de Kercadiot's urgent message no more than confirmed her own fears and inclinations. She decided upon instant departure. Bien, madame, said the youth, then I have the honour to take my leave. But she would not let him go. First to the kitchen to refresh himself, whilst she and mademoiselle made ready, and then a seat for him in her carriage as far as Meudon. She could not suffer him to return on foot as he had come. 